Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for being an awesome God. We are humbled, Father, by your strength, your majesty, and your love. And I pray, Father, that we today, as your servants, would just see uh, the things that uh, transpired here, Father. The, the work of the cross, the message of Jesus, and that uh, our eyes would just be open, Father, to fall in love with you over and over and over again. Uh, Father, we just ask for your spirit to be here in abundance. We ask for the enemy to be bound and that uh, our hearts and our minds would be set upon you this day. Uh, we just give this to you as a living sacrifice. This one hour, Father, we just want to devote to you. We just don't want to focus on cars and bills and houses, but on you, Father. This is our time to dwell in your presence, and we just pray, Father, that you would continue to enrich your body here, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. As we've been going through uh, Luke, uh, we're at a point in, in our, our gospel where we're seeing that Jesus is actually doing some of the things that he's been teaching. And he, we're starting to see that Jesus is going to lay down his life and entrust his life into the heart of God. And that comes through in a very simple process of facing the cross. The cross is a place where people die. They let go. There's no longer any any ambition, desire to accomplish anything other than to let go of everything. That cross, as Jesus has taught us, is a thing for you and I. It's a, it's a way of life for us as Christians to let go of the things of this world. And we say we're supposed to pick up our cross and follow after Christ. To be a Christian is not just that Jesus went to the cross, but we become Christ-like when we pick up our crosses and we die. That's a tall order, and sometimes that intimidates us, and probably rightfully so, because it's very hard for us to want to surrender all to God. And we're seeing Simon Peter, the faithful apostle who's going to take over the church someday, who's a great man of God to be, and yet as we ended last week and we're looking at this week, we're seeing Simon Peter, the disciple, fall apart. With all of his desire and ambition, he's saying that he's willing to give his life to God. And yet at the same time, Jesus, as he's looking at it, says with mockery and disdain, saying, You can't do it, Peter. Give me a break. And if you would, we're in the middle of Luke chapter 22, verse 31, for a little bit of review of last week to get us a flavor of what goes into this week. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He's got your number, Peter, but I have prayed for you. Well, that's nice, Jesus. I'm glad you're on my side. And then notice what he says, that your faith should not fail. We want you strong, Peter, but it almost sounds like, but it's not going to happen. He says, for when you have returned to me, so that has the connotation of a departure and coming back, 
that you would strengthen your brethren or encourage other people by your trials. And Jesus, with inside of his own prayer, is saying that there's a process of recovery for Peter. In the midst of his failures, there's a recovery program. And so he's saying, hey, Satan wants to sift you. He wants to, as you would, just like sifting flour, where you're taking something in clumps and lumps and you're breaking it down into something fine. And Satan's desiring to break you down. And it's interesting that God is allowing this breaking down process because in the breaking process comes a strengthening process. We hate to hear that, huh? <laughs> but unfortunately, that's the way of the cross, that we surrender all. We're broken down. We're saying, Lord, I'm dying here. I'm dying here. How can you allow this to happen in my life? And really the Lord's saying, hey, because when you recover, you'll be stronger to love and to have compassion and to minister to other people. Because I guess when we're filled with pride, we really don't care about anybody else. But when we're actually at that place and we recognize how weak and shallow we are, when we see another brother that's weak and shallow, we can put our arm around him and say, I've been there. I ain't throwing a rock at you. I can relate to you. And so God is wanting to move. We're looking, if you would, where Jesus is, is saying, Peter, with inside of this, as much as Satan wants to sift you, but notice, if you would, it, it goes back to Peter's perspective, Simon Peter. And he said to him, he says, hey, Lord, what are you talking about me failing? I'm not, I'm not scheduling that on my day planner here. He says, but he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Well, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm one of your boys. And you can see that attitude of let's, let's fight this. Let's take this on. He goes, my heart's pure. How could, you, how could you ask me to do anything less than have a pure heart? And, and Jesus turns around, and then he said, Ah, Peter, I'm, I'm telling you, says, The rooster shall not crow this day before you'll deny me three times that you know me. And it's amazing. Jesus is looking at Peter, and he says, Come on, man, at the drop of a hat, Peter, you don't have what it takes to really serve, to love, and to give. That weird concept of going to the cross and dying do you really think you can do it? And I'm sure a lot of us are that same way. We're like, oh, I can do this. I can do this Christian stuff. I got what it takes to please God. God's going to be real happy with me. We said, and we worked on this last week. He's like, nah, nah, nah. There's a completely different perspective between, between our view of ourselves and God's view of us. That's the truth. You guys ever had that uh, when you, uh, let's say you're driving at night and you're looking out your windshield and you think, man, everything's real crisp and clean and, 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 and nice as you're looking through your windshield at night because the, 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 there's a few lights and stuff around. But when you wake up in the morning, you guys ever get that direct sunlight smack right inside your windshield? And you're looking out your windshield and all of a sudden you see every fingerprint, all this dirt, and you're driving and it goes, man, it, it looks like I smoke in my car, and I don't, I, I don't smoke, but man, there's all this grime and dirt. 
And sometimes when the sun reflects its light upon you and I, it exposes a lot of the dirt that sometimes from another perspective we'd say, oh, there's nothing there. The windshield's clear. You guys ever have that? You're driving down the road and you go, my windshield's fine. Then other times it's like the windshield is just cloud with fingerprints, dirt, and everything you can imagine. And I think sometimes, you know, we have this where the lights are dim and we have a tendency to say, Lord, I'm fine. I'm really squeaky clean. Everything's good. And sometimes when the Lord sh shines his light upon us, all of a sudden everything sticks out. And he says, my perspective is a little different. And, and honestly, that's our deception as human beings, where we do walk around half blind, half cocky, thinking that we got it all together. And we're talking to the Lord like, hey, Lord, I, I know I got it together. I know there's a lot of other people that don't, but man, I'm, I'm there. And, and God says, I, I see everything. I, I see the dirt. Uh, from my perspective, I'm, I'm not impressed. And so if you would, he wants to remind them. And it's very important that we labored through a couple of these points last week. But he turned around and he says, hey, you know, uh, he said to them, verse 35, when I sent you out without a money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And they go, nope, nothing. We, we did good when we trusted in you. And then he said to him, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, for that which is written must be accomplished in me. That quote is that he was numbered with the transgressors, that Jesus would be accounted as a violent man. For the things concerning me have an end. Things in the prophetic word have got to be fulfilled. And so they said, hey, look, okay, well, that's it. I got two swords right here. Look, Lord, here's two swords. And he goes to him, yeah, that's enough. Great. Let's take on the whole army of Rome with them. And, and I, 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 I went through this last week. I, I explained it ad nauseum. Hopefully we can remember that there is a ton of sarcasm in this statement, that Jesus is saying you and your two swords are a farce. You are not going to be able to accomplish anything that the Lord is trying to do with a couple of swords. Man in his vain attempts, me and my trusty weapon are going to accomplish and I feel safe because I have a trusty weapon in my hand. That's not safety. Safety is knowing that you're in God's hands. Safety is knowing that the creator of the universe is on your side. And yet that deception was creeping in. And so now we go into our new text today in verse 39. And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives. And as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him, he came to the place, he said to them, he says, pray that you may not enter temptation. So Jesus is sitting down there and says, dark days are upon us. They're going to number me as a transgressor. They're coming after my arrest. I know that I'm going to be crucified before the morning's over, or at least strung up to be crucified through his trials and thrown before Pilate in the morning. And he says, man, this is a time of prayer like never before. And he's gathering the guys together up on the Mount of Olives, and he's saying, man, this is it. Pray, pray, why? That you may not enter into temptation. To, to, be, to be tempted to be moved away. Keep your head, your heart, your mind straight. You need to be focused at this time. And the thing that's going to bring about focus is prayer. 
and he has withdrawn from them, and he was uh, withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. So Jesus goes off and, and prays by his lonesome, if you would, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now that's the heart of somebody that is saying, at whatever cost, I may not like to go through it, but I want your will, Father, to be done. Not mine, not my agenda. I'm not pushing anything. I'm totally surrendering my life into your hands. And then you see the results. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And I love that. That as we do pray, we have the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside of us, and He will sit down there and, and guide us through our, 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 our problems, our trials. And it's nice to know that God's promised you and I that there would be a Comforter, someone who would actually come and be right beside us. Uh, I'm always amazed at how I, 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 I forget so quickly just how prayer works. I can remember when I first got saved, and there was something about that magical honeymoon-type phase where I could sit down, and, and I can remember I prayed specifically for five things. I said, well, Lord, if you're up there, you know, uh, you know, let's try this one out. A, B, C, D, E, and F. Let's just try them, okay, God? And it was amazing that as I prayed that a week later, it's like A, B, C, D, E, F, and G got thrown in there too and said, hey. <laughs> and it almost kind of said, wow, that's like, there's a God that's listening to me. How about that? And, 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 and it's real. And that honeymoon, you know, experience of actually being in love with the Lord, it's like, this is really cool. Well, what kicks me is that 20 years later, studying the Bible, being so wise, smart, and discerning as I am now as a mature believer, <laughs> that you forget what you learned week one. And it is so hard to remember to say, hey, I... There's a God in heaven that's listening to me, and he cares about me. And, and I, I have to stand rebuked many times to say, Lord, I, I've been praying a prayer, and when I see it happen, I go, wow, who ever thought that was going to happen? When I should be able to say, of course that was what's going to happen. God loves, God cares. And, and so if you would, you're seeing that there's an angel that uh, appeared to him from heaven, and it's strengthening him, getting through that difficult time. God answers the prayer. And being in agony at this point, he prayed more earnestly. How's that for a word? And then, he, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I find that th that speaks volumes of in itself, this concept of sweating blood. Now, gee, I, I can't picture anybody going through such strenuous agony that they're going to be busting their capillaries so that blood's pouring out of them. And I suppose that I've heard science and doctors and somebody gets into such a situation to prove that this has happened and it's not such a far-fetched idea and, and it's, it's very possible. But I, I look at that and I say, that's a, a level, and it's definitely there to explain to us a level of intensity. And, and please, you're, you're going to notice, you know, a, a couple things. What, what gets me about this text is you see, you see Peter, Peter says, yeah, I'm there. 
And Jesus looks at it and says, no, you're not. And he says, you want to see what the real boys do? Go watch me for an hour here. I'm going to show you what prayer is. And this is the level, and that's the key word, the level of intensity. Because if you notice, if you would, Peter was sincere, but Jesus was earnest. And so you'd have to look at that and say, well, what's the difference, Pastor? What's the difference between being earnest and sincere? And the only difference between the two is the level of intensity. Because there's a lot of people in this world that are sincere. They say, Lord, I'm going to go with you. I want to be, I want to serve, I want, I want the power in my life, God. And yet there's not an earnestness to earn a, a sense of working, a sense of I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to work my way into this and I'm not going to let go. And unfortunately, this is what separates the men from the boys in the kingdom, is the level of earnestness in your prayer life. Do you hear that? Jesus knows that he's going into the fight of the century. He, he has a depth of sincerity. He's not just a superficial sincere, but he's, he has that intensity where he's going to completely surrender his will to God. And even as much as Peter wanted to, Jesus could look at him and says, you're not playing in the same league. And this is, a, and this is where you're seeing the superiority of Jesus to any man. Yeah, he could walk on water. Yeah, he could you know, feed the multitudes. Yeah, those are some great tricks Jesus did. But Jesus is coming up and he says, this is, what separa- this is what separates the men from the boys, is that level of intensity in prayer. And he knows that, that he has to resist. He's fighting something. He's in agony. He's even got an angel supporting him, and he's still going through agony at this point. And yet he turns around and he rose up from prayer and he came to his disciples. He found them, listen to this, sleeping from sorrow. So Jesus is duking it out. He's putting his life in a position so that he could uh, 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 handle the attacks from the enemy. And yet he's seen Peter in all of his sincerity. Yet he's sleeping and it says he's sleeping from sorrow. Oh, poor me. Oh, this is hard. Oh, this is going to be a tough day. Oh, I can't do this anymore. And he crashes out. And then Jesus says again, he says, and then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And so once again, in in Luke, you're seeing that Jesus is reinforcing the concept that prayer is there to focus you. And you're seeing Peter's lack of focus. Now, I love it in Matthew. Matthew does a little bit different in his gospel. He clearly delineates that three times Jesus came back and says, wake up, pray with me. And then he goes back and he prays, and then he comes back again. Wake up, pray with me. Kick, wake up, pray with me. Luke doesn't quite uh, delineate it that way, that it's three distinct ways, but the concept is still the same. Listen to this. Peter, you said you were going to follow me. Okay, good boy. Now let's see if you can do the work of a man of God. Can you pray? And you see, where does Peter deny him three times? First, he denies him. Yeah, we're going to see him, you know, deny specifically that he knows him. But before that happens, you're seeing that he denies him first three times in prayer. 
And, and so many times in our lives, we lack the power and our strength. And when temptation comes into our lives, as Jesus is clearly telling us that prayer is there to stop temptation to come into our lives. And if we fail in prayer, it's only natural we would fail in the midst of a physical, real, actual trial that's in front of us. So the spiritual kind of is leading the way in our lives. And if our, our spiritual lives are not connected, it only seems logical that we're going to fail in the physical, doesn't it? So, you know, Susie comes up to you and seduces you, you're going to go for it if you're not a man of prayer. You're going to be tempted to lie and cheat on your job if you're not in prayer. The depth of us that separates the men from the boys is our relationship with God. Jesus is going into a war party, and these guys are having a pity party. And, and, and when we want to be people of prayer to actually walk, prayer has certain connotations. Please watch what's being explained to us here. That in, in, in prayer, prayer has first and foremost the connotation of just spending time, time doing it. It does take time. If I were to say, you know, you need to start working out and uh, start to exercise, and you'd say, yeah, yeah, Pastor, I do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working out. All of us know what that means. That means we're going to have to devote a couple hours in the morning, an hour to work out, an hour to shower. You're going to put everything together to wake up and get yourself together. And it, it, it's just a, a massive amount of time to spend if you were to physically work out. And you know what? When you want to enter into a, a, a decent prayer life, it's going to require you to set aside some time. You're going to wake up a little earlier. Uh, if you're a morning person, you may have to stay up an hour later if you're an evening person. Uh, you, you may have to sit down there. It says instead of, you know, listening to your favorite radio show, I used to go out and listen to the radio at lunch at work and, and say, I need to shut that off and turn Jesus on. Sometimes I need to shut the radio off as I'm driving down the road and say, Lord, no, 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 I don't want to listen to the blah, blah, blah of this world and the yeah, 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 the music. I need to just focus on you, Lord, and I'm just driving down the road and this is my time. Prayer, prayer connotates spending time. But also, prayer has a, a concept of interacting, and you're, you're interacting with someone. I, I, we forget that. We do, we do think that prayer is some, you know, ambiguous thing of just self-meditation. It, 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 you, you you're interacting with someone, somebody sitting beside you. And it is interesting. As Jesus would pray, he sees the angel there next to him. And I wonder if we pray, we understand that the Holy Spirit, the comforter, someone sitting in the car seat next to you. And I might think I'm a little loony sometimes, but, you know, I'm sitting down there talking to the car seat next to me saying, Lord, you know, uh, let me just tell you, I'm going through a hard time here. I'm, I don't understand this. I, Lord, I'm doing really good. And Lord, or my heart's really burdened for Johnny over here. And, and, and prayer has a concept. And I think we lose a lot when you start to speak to an ambiguous force, the, an ambiguous, vague something or other that's out there. Uh, prayers need to be directed. You, when, when we, when we, when we have a relationship with God, it's a personal relationship with a living person. And God is sitting there as the creator of the universe says, I, I'm desiring to spend some time with you. And then honestly, what needs to happen to make prayer develop into something more, there has to be an exchange. How's that? 
when you go to talk to somebody, there's a, a give and take. There's an exchange that needs to take place in your life to say, Lord, I'm giving you this and I'm receiving this from you. Hey, I, I want to talk to you about this and this is what's happening. We, there, there's, there's an exchange. It's a relationship. You're having it with someone and you're developing it, developing it with time. And Jesus is turning around and he's saying, hey, hey, I, I, I care about you. I love you. And I'm desiring to spend that time. And please, bear in mind, this is what's going to separate you to stop you from falling into temptation. This is what's going to uh, allow you to, to develop your level of maturity in the Lord. You want to show me a mature Christian? And I, I, I'll show you a man that's committed to prayer. You want to show me a, a man that has no desire to pray with his Lord and Savior? And I'll show you a shallow Christian, period. Uh, I, I really believe that, that your prayer life is indicative. It's, it's going to follow. It's going to be related to the level that you are able to handle in your life. And honestly, Peter is sitting down there and says, I can do it, God. Jesus is saying, give me a break. You realize we're, we're, we're dealing with Satan toe-to-toe -to -toe tonight, buddy. The whole universe was created, the whole time, space, and dimensions coming down to this one evening, and you think you're up to the task. Peter, you can't play with the big boys. You want to know how we can separate that real quick? Come on over and sit down and pray with me for a while. I'm out. Peter's out. And then you go, Peter, 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 come on. Three times, man, you're out. You're superficial and you're shallow. And if that's bad, not bad enough to pick on poor Peter here, it goes to the next level. And while he was still speaking, looking at these guys, behold a multitude. The lynch mob comes with their brooms and their pitchforks. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas... Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And so if you would, talk about how two-faced can you get? How superficial of an exchange can you get between two people? Judas coming up and giving him a kiss. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you're my pal. And he goes, man, you're here to spit in my face and stab me in the back. Let's not understand who you're working for now, Judas. You sold your soul over to the devil, and why are we playing such a game? And if you would, if Peter was shallow Judas is real shallow with intent an intent to be malicious boy I like to think this could never happen today that people could be this superficial to come up and to greet me with a kiss and yet their desire is to stab me in the back but hello it happens all the time keep your friends close and your enemies even closer as I say uh, you you got to understand that there are so many people that are just out to stab you in the back. And it is amazing as we bebop through life and things start to fall apart and crumble apart. And we sit down and go, God, where? why did this happen? I, I didn't see this coming. A million, I didn't see it. And every time that happens to me, it does. It, it, to me, the rebuke's on me saying, Lord, oh, why wasn't I praying? Why wasn't I seeking your face? And how come I didn't realize that this person was so superficial and so shallow? And Lord's like, you're not seeking my face. You're not, you're not trying to avoid the temptation. You're not trying to uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 stay away from these things. You're right back in it because you're shallow, Dave. 
And it says, when those around him saw what was going to happen. So now all of a sudden the rest of the disciples go, oh man, we were wondering who was the backstabber was going to be. And we were arguing over who was going to be the greatest because we all thought it could have been us. But it's not us. We, oh, it's Judas. And they said, Lord, this is it. This is the moment that we were talking about. They're waking up out of their slumbers. Says, Shall we strike with a sword? Let me go on. Let's get him, Jesus. And then one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So we know that to be Peter from another gospel. And Peter turns around. He grabs out his sword with his, his intensity, and he's going to rip off this guy's ear. I'm fighting for you, Jesus. I'm going to show you that I'm not going to fail. And Jesus is really sitting there going, Peter, you've already failed. But, hey, you think this is going to prove something to somebody? And Jesus answered and he said, uh, permit even this. Yeah, we're supposed to be a bunch of hooligans here to get arrested. Uh, but he picks up the ear. He touched his ear and he healed him. And he says, man, let's just put this ear back on. I'm not here to accomplish anything with the sword. And Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, the elders who had come to him, have you come out against a robber? Jesus is like, what do you think I am? Some dirt, dirty thief or something with swords and clubs? What's this all about? And he says, if you wanted to be honest, the people that are trying to kill me because of your own desires for envy and greed, he says, when I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't try to seize me. Why are you doing this behind everyone's back in the dark? But this is your hour, says Jesus. You, every dog has his day. You want to sit down there and think you're accomplishing something. This is your hour and the power of darkness because I have to show and demonstrate that I'm greater so I'm going to let you have your heyday you come up and arrest me oh yeah big bad Jesus we got our swords out oh yeah he's trying to come up with something he says you have your you have your 15 minutes of fame and you have to understand that when Jesus is surrendering his life over it is just that he's allowing it he's in control he puts the ear back on and he's way above this scenario. And it's a gross misnomer to think that Jesus was hoodwinked, tricked. He was blindsided. They manipulated him. And them old crafty Jews just got one up on Jesus that day. <clears throat> Nothing's further from the truth. The gospel is trying to demonstrate a very simple truth that Jesus goes, Oh, yeah, have your day. You go ahead, string me up. i got to do something to get crucified here because I'm going to be put to death and then watch this. Three days later, I'll rise from the dead. So you're watching the farce continue. And if you would, it turns around and says, and having arrested him now, and Luke skims some of the details, some of the other Gospels would go through, but it goes through a quick progression of events because I believe that Jesus wants to highlight, or Luke wants to highlight this story. And he says, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. So they're dragging Jesus in, and all the other disciples run. Peter wants to hang and says, man, I've got to find out what's going on here. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together interesting terminology they're kindling a fire they're sitting down together peter sat among them and a certain servant girl seeing him as he sat by the fire looked intently at him and said this man was also with him hey i i recognize you you're one of them but he denied him saying woman i don't know him 
So there's Peter now starting to follow into his temptation. And he is going to say for the first time, I don't know Jesus. I'm not standing up for him. I'm not going to die with him. I'm as a coward. And he just says, well, it sounds so simple, so incidental. The woman would be there. And you could see Peter is saying, look, I just want to watch what's going on here. Don't bother me with the details, if you would. Hey, I don't know him. So I'll just give a little white lie right now. And after a little while, another saw him and said, hey, Peter, what are you doing here? You also are one of them. And Peter said, man, I'm not. No, I'm not. You can see the intensity and the shortness of his statement then. And then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed. So he's confident now. He says, I got you, Mark, Peter, saying, surely this fellow was also with him, for he's a Galilean. He's one of them. Yeah, this Jesus is getting strung up, and this is one of his disciples. And Peter said, man, leave me alone. I don't know what you're saying. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You, Peter. And Peter remembered the word which the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. So a lot of things are happening here. First off, you know, Jesus, he's turning around. And I don't think that he's turning around dogging Peter. Like, Peter, oh, you let me down. He's, he's looking at Peter and he says, Peter, remember what I told you? Remember how shallow I knew that you were? I think he's looking at Peter and he's saying, Peter, just don't forget. I understood what you were made out of. I knew what we were going into, and I wasn't counting on you to save the world the way that you think that you're here to save the world. Jesus is saying, I'm here to save the world, and you do what needs to get done on your part. But, you know, here it is. You have to see now he's going into the full-blown, I'm going to deny Jesus. What sounds so innocent, what sounds so friendly and so kind on Peter's part, and you could almost, uh, you know, part of me can be sympathetic with him to say, man, I just wanted to get close. I just wanted to be there for Jesus. I just wanted to find out what was going on. I didn't think that this little woman was going to be the trial of the century. This little nagging, you know, group of people trying to say that you're with them. And, and yet Jesus is saying, this, this is ground zero for you, Peter. This was where you can fail me. You can't even stand up to the simple, common things uh, of standing up against your, your friends, your coworkers, or people around you and honestly it's a it's a sad rebuke on a lot of us that would say yeah I don't I don't really confess Jesus at work I don't talk about that Jesus stuff that's for Sunday morning and when somebody even asks me point blank you know what I mean I I, I walk away from it. It, it it's sad I was I was watching I was watching a, a, a comedian on uh, TV this week he caught my attention because he was bashing on Catholics, and it seemed like a good ha-ha-ha. And, uh, and I said, oh, this is, oh, he's insightful. He's smart. He understands, you know, how shallow those people are. And then he turned his attention onto the born-again Christian, you know. And uh, he starts, you know, saying, you know, it's amazing. You see these people, they run around, and Jesus, 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 you know. And they just run around, and they're so, they're so you know, uh, assured of themselves that they would say, you know, I believe the Bible. I believe every single word the Bible says. And he'd go, do you really believe the whole Bible is God's word? Oh, I believe that the Bible's God's word. And then he asks the question. He says, well, have you ever read the Bible? You ever read all the Bible, every chapter, every verse? Oh, no. Well, then how can you believe every word of the Bible and you haven't even read it? 
And honestly, the world looks at us so many times as fools, as born-again Christians, because we run around, we pound our fists, and we understand God's word so much, and yet we are so shallow in our own lives to say, I, I, I really haven't even read the Bible. Uh, have you read the New Testament? No, I really haven't. Have you ever sat down and just really like read one of the Gospels? Uh, well, no, but, but, but I believe the Bible's God's word. And how can, how can you believe the Bible to be God's word? You don't even know what it says. And it is. It's an open rebuke to us as believers, as us as Christians, to realize that there's so many things that we miss in our lives. There's so many things that we don't understand. And yet we run around and, and jump up and down and purport that we know everything about God. And as a believer, you are much better off being a little bit more humble and to say, I don't know all of God. I don't know the, the greatness and the mysteries of God. Certainly, God has many mysteries that are way outside my understanding. But I do know this, that I'm a sinner. And I do know the one promise, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can tell you that much. And I can tell you that I'm just a sinner and I'm believing in Jesus and I have everlasting life because of that promise. And I'm studying and investigating so much more and Lord, I want to know. But it is amazing to see how we can, can, can project ourselves. And the Lord's looking at us and he says, man, I got a completely different view of who you are. And we turn around and think that we have this view of ourselves that's so high and so mighty. And, you know, there's a whole sermon here just on Peter as he's coming to notice the languages. You know, he comes and he throws himself into a circle of people. You think they got their little trash can on fire and they start to kindle up this little fire. And now they're all warming themselves around their little trash can outside. And they're, they're watching this stuff with Jesus and they're trying to warm up. And you go, what is Peter doing? He's, he's warming himself by the fire of those that are there to kill Jesus. And unfortunately, you and I can warm ourselves by the fire of so many people and say, there's nothing wrong with this. My heart and my mind are with Jesus. But what are you doing? You're sitting there in a circle of people that have just, you know, went out to arrest Jesus, to lynch Jesus. And somehow or another, we, you and I, can think nothing about it. But we warm ourselves in the fire by the fireside of other people that are, are, are apostate to God, fallen away, that aren't with God, that, that don't even know him. And, and the, 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 the question would be, who, whose fire do we warm ourselves by? You know, God has a fire. There's a, a friendly fire, if you would, where, where God is saying, I, I'm here to, 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 to strengthen and encourage and it's like pulling teeth for us to sit in the presence of the Lord. And yet we can, we can as quick as we can, run over to the world and say, Lord, I want to, uh, or, or world, I'm going to turn my back on the Lord here and I'm going to sit by the world and just engage myself in everything that's worldly and just warm myself by their fire. And then when confronted exactly with where and who I am, oh, well, you know, I can deny it. And somehow or another, there's a rationale in our mind that says, it's okay for me to deny it. I really don't want to be one of them preachers. And I haven't read the whole Bible yet, so I don't want to say anything. And who am I to sit down and be mocked and ridiculed and pulled apart? I just want to sit here and be quiet. And the Lord is only trying to bring about one point. He's not dogging you. He's just saying, can you see how shallow you are? When was the last time you spent an hour, just, just an hour, just meditating on me? When was the last time you took a day and said, Lord, I just want to pray and fast and seek your face? Lord, I'm going through the trial of the century. I mean, we need to be just slapped upside the head, people that have been around the block a little bit, as Pastor Dave has, and say, you know, I know prayer works. 
I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I've prayed for things, God has answered those prayers. And yet we can be so blind and dumb and to miss the obvious. And, and God says, Dave, you don't, you're not using prayer in the middle of this? Oh, you have been worried. You've been upset. You've been in agony. You've gossiped about this other situation to everybody you possibly can. You've done every single thing humanly possible besides actually coming and sitting down at my throne and talking to me about it. And you're going, you're right. And I have, I have struggled with issues for months there's been crises of people in the church that have gone on for months. And it seems like at the end of three months, I'll finally sit down and say, Lord, you know what? Maybe you and I need to talk about this, and maybe I just need to trust you with it, and maybe I just need to surrender my life. And shazam, it's like, you know, God answered the prayer. And you go, now, where was my head for three months worrying, fretting, being upset, agonizing, talking, counseling, advising, spending my time, my effort into everything else? I'm warming myself by the world's fires, and I'm not sitting down at the fires of Jesus. And Jesus says, man, sit, sit at my feet. Sit and understand my love and my compassion for what I have. And unfortunately, it's such a, a strong rebuke that we, we can't. We can gather around a group of people, and then we say, I want to be the chameleon Christian. I just want to blend in with everybody just so that I can make things happen. And Jesus is saying, can't you see you're denying me? Oh, no, Jesus, I would never deny you. Oh, yeah. Have you spent time in prayer with me? Oh, well, I'm busy, God. That, that takes time. I, I haven't got time. I, I, you know what? I just need sometimes when I'm going into work to listen to some, you know, rock and roll, and that's going to pump me up to get me through the day. Oh, really? Well, have at it. And then we sit down, we wonder, we go, man, work stunk. I got fired. What happened with this? I, I, why, how did this happen, God? And we throw a rock at God so quick. And, and the Lord, he's, he's speaking to us, and he says, man, I, I want you to know. I'm not dogging you. I'm not putting you down. But, but the one thing that we have to have is a proper view of ourselves. If we understand, Lord, I'm weak, I'm inept, and I'm, I'm a failure, Jesus doesn't come up and just throw the rock at us. He turns around and he says, man, I'm there for you. I love you. I care about you. I went to a pastor's huddle. We, we try to get together once a month with all the Calvary Chapel pastors of Ohio. And, uh, and there's different pastors and different philosophies amongst the different Calvary chapels. I'd like to switch pulpits with a couple pastors and have me go speak someplace and have you listen to another Calvary chapel pastor because there's just a wealth of information from other pastors and you know it's it's nice to glean other perspectives and stuff and we get together we pray we talk about things but I don't know where you guys stand on you know certain issues and where we are as a church but one of the big things is that uh, one of the things that Calvary Chapel and I guess I was told prides itself in is that we don't pass the plate we don't sit down there and pass the plate back and forth and there's other Calvary chapels that turn around and pass the plate you know and uh, one of the pastors there was defending his point on saying, you know, well, we passed the plate over at our Calvary Chapel. And, you know, and, it, and the Lord revealed to me it was just a matter of our pride on how come we were just so proudful that we never passed the plate, that that pride was actually the problem. And we had to just do what the Lord told us to do to pass the plate. And uh, another pastor... <laughs> I love this. He turned around and he goes, yeah, well, you know, whenever, whenever Jesus passes the plate in the Bible, you know, <laughs> you're like, 
You know, whenever Jesus passes the plate, there's bread on it. <laughs> I, go, I go, yeah, I like that, you know. And, and you know, it, it's so amazing. It's so amazing that, that what we, we want to do as a church, and, and please, as a congregation, understand that there's method to our madness to what we're trying to do as a congregation. We really understand the environment that we are in, that there are churches all up and down the street, all up and down the community where there, in many a church turns around and just beats the sheep to death. And, and, and they want to take the cash, they're passing the plate, and in comes guilt and condemnation. And, 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 and there's this, this whole concept of you as the sheep need to do God's work, and that means give me cash. And what Calvary Chapel is laboring, and at least in Columbus, uh, we're, we're laboring to say there's something different about what's going on here. And listen to this. It's very important because this goes to the heart uh, of uh, who and what we are. We really believe that many people, listen to this, uh, other churches in the community can grossly misrepresent God. And somehow or another, our our job as a church is to come in and to say, wait a second, the Jesus who you think you know is not the real Jesus. I want you as a pastor of Calvary Chapel Columbus to see the real Jesus. And I want you to understand that when Jesus does pass the plate, he's here for you and he's not here against you. And so many people cannot gather that concept into their mind. That simple statement that a lot of people say, well, if I go to church, I'm going to hear all the hellfire and the brimstone. I'm going to, you know, I need to give my tithe. I need to do this. I need to do that. And bad me and bad me. And please, to understand the, the, the biblical Jesus, you're watching it being explained right here in black and white in front of us that somehow or another Jesus is trying to say, Peter, when I'm looking at you, I'm not dogging you. I'm not putting you down. I only want you to, A, recognize the truth of where you stand. But understand, Peter, I'm here for you because I've already prayed. And I know that you're going to fail me, Peter. It's no shocker. But I know when you come through this day, Peter, you're going to be better and stronger than before. I'm for you, Peter. And in your failures, I'm not here to be the one throwing the rock at you. I'm here to be the one giving and serving and loving. And our church, above all other things, and I'm not here necessarily to throw rocks at all the other churches. I'm only here to sit down and it says our church wants to go in and reinvent the wheel. That's what we have to do. We have to turn around and says most people have a bogus, inept view of Jesus. They don't understand real Jesus. They don't understand. Well, yeah, I've been to that church and they say that they're the Bible-believing church and that their Bibles just, that's what it is. And people go and they just go, ooh, I need God. But if that's God, no thank you. And I believe with every fiber of my being that if you could understand the real Jesus, you would never reject the real Jesus. I believe that when Jesus is presented as a God of love that is here to give and to share, only a fool would turn around and throw that Jesus out the window and says, I don't need that. I don't need the creator of the universe on my side. No, thank you. You go, what are you, stupid? How can you just throw the creator of the universe out the window? The creator of the universe has got to answer your prayers. The creator of the universe wants to interact with you. The creator of the universe, all power, strength, might, and everything. I mean, he's got it all. How could you throw an ally like that out the window? Well, I can't. I, I could probably use some help with a few things in my life. I'm sure just one or two, but, you know, I could use some help. But unfortunately, our community, Livingston and Bryce Road, is packed with people that would throw Jesus under the bus in a heartbeat. 
That Jesus is nothing more than an oppressive, mean, angry God. No thank you. I don't have time for that in my schedule. Well, if that's your view. Because when Jesus passes the plate, he's got bread on it. And I like that. He's going to turn around and says, no, I'm here to give you something. And we, by design, come to our church, hear a sermon, understand Jesus, have some worship, get a donut. You know what I mean? <laughs> we got chocolate glazed bread. You know, it's, it's good. And, and you know what? I, I, I'll go get, you know, I have my own business. I can work. We can do things to take care of the bill. If it came down to I had to work 80 hours a week, I would do whatever it takes and say we can maintain the things here, and we will sit down there and continue to give out a donut to those that need a donut. And, and I want people to understand that. That's who and what we are as a church. That's what we're fighting for. That's the, 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 the stigma that so many people say, oh, here comes church. Here, i got to sit. i got to look real good or they're going to judge me. I better not look like a failure. The church is going to condemn me. Oh, now here comes the plate in front of me. Oh, I better do this. You know what? If that's your attitude that you better give your money to God, or keep your money. You know what I mean? But, you know, to us, a real person says, man, God has blessed and loved, and my response to the love of God is to give back and to share with somebody else. Because there is a great God up there that has loved me, and if he's giving me eternal life, heck, the least I can do is, is pay back God in, in any way, shape, or form that I can to give a loaf of bread to someone else. And hence, the, 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 the multiplication of the bread goes forward. And, and we, we want to be able to say, that's what we're striving, that's what we're doing. And you have to see Jesus at all these things. And this is critical because people could turn around. And when I read these passages of Peter's failings, when I see this as Jesus, uh, Peter, I go, that's me. That's me. Uh, I fail in prayer. Uh, me of all people should know. There's not a bigger hypocrite in the room than Dame Brown. I should know above and beyond all things to seek the Lord in prayer. And then at which point I should be able to say, well, Lord, then, you know, I'm here and I'm going to be honest with you. I need some love and I need some compassion here. And Jesus is looking at me and he ain't dogging me. He ain't dogging me. And he's saying, no, Dave, I understand completely. I know that you're going to be sifted. I know that you're going to fail. And that's the whole purpose of the cross is not for God to get his jollies, but for me to come to a place of honest understanding of where and what and who I am before the Lord. That's all. And this is clearly just what Jesus is trying to bring about. Obviously, Peter becomes the pillar of the church he stands with when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the comforter, comes alongside of him and empowers him to stand up and to preach a mighty sermon, Acts chapter 2. And he's there telling everybody, hey, you know, get saved. And Peter does wonderful things because Jesus' prayer works. But he says, when you return, Peter. What do you mean when I return? You know, I'm not leaving you. And he goes, oh, come on. We need to go through a, a, a sifting process to make you to be stronger, greater, mightier. And so even Jesus, you watch this then unfold just a little bit as we're just going to finish off the chapter. And he says, now the men who had held Jesus, they mocked him and beat him. Na, 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 whack. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, <laughs> Prophesy. Okay, well, since you're such a prophet, Jesus, why don't you figure out which one of us four hit you? Come on, you're blindfolded. And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. Oh, come on, Jesus. You know, they're dragging him up there. You think you're some high and mighty thing? You tell me you're the Christ. You think you're the Messiah? Tell us. 
And listen to what Jesus says. He goes, man, if I tell you anything, you will by no means believe it. You know what? You don't have ears to hear. You're not open to the truth. You're blind as a bat yourself. Notice, Jesus is the one blindfolded, and he's the one saying, you guys are blind. And he says, and if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. You know, you don't care. Truth left the, the house a long time ago, buddy. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. You know what? Come judgment day, you're going to find out, oops, made a mistake when you sit before Jesus on judgment day. And then they all said, well, you know, quit this wordplay. Are you the Son of God? We want to know. And he said to them, hey, bingo, buddy, you got it. You rightly say that I am. So Jesus is telling you, I'm the Son of God. And then they turn around and they take this. They go, well, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Now, you got to understand the double play on what's going on here. Yes, you just heard it from the Messiah's mouth that this is the Messiah sitting in front of you. And the only thing they can do is take that statement and say, well, now we've got something to hang him by. How blind can you be? How can you miss God that much? So if Peter was shallow and Judas was shallow, going even deeper into the depths, here you have other people that are hearing the truth and they're totally rejecting it. And they're rejecting it because they're filled with their anger, their hatred, their bitterness, their desire for self-rule and self-dominance with inside of their own lives, refusing to shake off the, you know, the, the yoke of God. We don't want that God stuff in our life. We're not going to sit down there and live or be accountable to anybody. We'll do it our way. And you can't help but just laugh at the blindness of these people. Well, here's a guy walked on water, fed the multitudes, did a lot of good things, cast out some demons, you know, uh, and now he's claiming to be the Messiah. Let's kill him. Oh, where's that come from? That's impossible that somebody would be that stupid, don't you think? Don't you read this and go, how could they be that stupid? Well, it happens every single day, day in and day out around here. Sometimes rightly so, and I, I regret because the church is such an embarrassment at times that so many people have, have misrepresented God as a mean, angry, bitter God. I, I agree that some people can reject the Messiah, but it goes deeper than that, that there is a, a, a wellspring of hatred, and that wellspring of hatred is fostered upon hanging around the wellspring of hatred. And when you want to gather yourself around the world's fire, you can only expect to sit down and to fall into the temptations of the world. It's only going to happen. You are going to become somebody who is subject to the foolishness and the stupidity, and the words out of your mouth will condemn you. And yet, if we could only say, Lord, I just need to develop my prayer life. Prayer is where it's at. I need to just spend an hour with you this morning. I need to spend a half hour with you. I need to just spend 15 minutes with you. I just need to shut the radio off and say, Lord, this is me, Dave, checking in. I'm going to spend some time, quantity. I want to understand that I'm interacting with somebody, quality. And there's going to be an exchange of my life to say, Lord, this is me. This is where I am. What do you have? What are you telling me? Where are we going? 
What would you have me do, Lord? I want to serve. I want to live. And when you start to develop, and the, the key word is a personal relationship with a living God. Do you hear that? You ever heard that term? To sit down and have a personal, that's like, God, you're sitting in the seat next to me. If, if I, you know, have a personal relationship with my wife, well, you know, if we're driving down the road, my wife's going to say, well, what are you doing with this? And why are you doing that? And I'd say, well, what's going on over here? And how come the kids are doing this? And what's going to happen? See, there's an exchange. I'm talking to somebody. And you say, boop, I'm going to get rid of my wife here for a little bit. And so I got Jesus right there next to me. And I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm going to talk to you just like I talked to my wife. I'm going to say, you know what? I don't know what's going on with this and what's going on with that. And, I, and, you know, and now you're asking me, what am I doing over this? And I didn't quite think about that. And I need to understand a few things. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, I, there I am in the midst. And so many times we just we forget that the Lord is just desirous to spend time with you. We forget the power of the creator of the universe is begging to, 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 to exchange something with you. And Jesus is saying, man, I love you, and I want to I give you. I want to give you some bread. I want to satisfy you. You walk with me, man. I'm going to take care of you. And we go, oh, well, that's a nice thought, Jesus, but I really don't need it. No, it's, it's a little bit more than just a pleasant thought. It's Listen to this. It's something that we need in our lives. It's something that what Jesus wants to do with us so that we could be strong and, and encouraged because you know what? The enemy is desiring to sift you like wheat. You can handle your own life. Praise God for that. Are you going to take on the powers of Satan? Satan comes into you. What do you think you're going to do? boogeyman's at your door you got satan he's coming after you and we take that like uh, no no it doesn't that doesn't happen that doesn't happen no satan's desiring to sift us and to break us and to shatter us and there is an enemy that's ripping us apart and we need to be stronger more today than ever before in our lives that's all we need to do and just be able to say lord today today is the day lord i'm just gonna i'm gonna sit down seek your face and 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 and, and, and spend some time with you. That's all I could ever ask as a church, and all I could ever ask as a pastor is to understand that the God, Jesus, properly represented, is there to offer you a plate full of bread and says, man, take it, take it, take and eat. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and uh, we want to repent, Father, of our shallowness. Father, we have uh, frayed and strayed and uh, gone away from the things that we know to be true. Father, we uh, should know that you have the answers, Father, and yet uh, we always seem to have a, a confidence that's not from you but from the world. Father, I pray that we would warm ourselves by your fire, that you would strengthen us, empower us, Father. Send the boogeyman away, Father, so that uh, we could return to you and be empowered to love our brother. Father, I would pray that your Holy Spirit would move through this church, Father, in a mighty way. We want to represent you, Father, in a faithful way. Not as the world loves, Father, but as only you can. Father, help us just to receive that plate of bread, Father, and to know that you are there for us, that you love us, that you care for us. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.